Funding for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you. This week on New Mexico in Focus, President Trump returns to New Mexico for his re-election, receiving distinctly mixed reactions. I'm one of those that uh, believe that Trump is the best president that we've ever seen in our lifetime. Congress, do your job. Impeach this man. Plus, the governor wants to make college education free at state colleges and universities. The Line Opinion panel debates the plan. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. We'll get to the president's visit, but we're also talking about democracy dollars in Albuquerque as the city looks to keep its public campaign financing relevant. And the governor made a surprise announcement this week that she wants to make the state's colleges and universities free for most New Mexico students. The global climate strike was this Friday with scores of students planning to walk out of class and gather in Albuquerque for a rally to raise awareness about global climate change. We talked to the students about how they see their future. We start with the president's visit to New Mexico and those who were happy to see him, as well as those who were not. We pick up our coverage with our team in Rio Rancho. Hey everybody, welcome to the Trump campaign rally featuring President Donald Trump. We love Trump. Trump. I'm one of those that uh, believe that Trump is the best president that we've ever seen in our lifetime. And I've been around since uh, President Kennedy, I remember him. And no one has come close to him. He's the one that is not only makes promises, but he's the one that keeps them. Every other one makes promises, but they never keep them. Go Trump! 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 What are your favorite promises that he's made and kept? Well, you know, uh, we hear a lot about the problems that we have with drugs. Uh, drugs is, is a killer. And one way the drugs are coming in are through the borders. And he has promised that he would, and he, he's promised, and it looks like uh, there are less and less people coming across the borders now. And a lot of these people in the cartels help push those people to come across the borders with drugs. And the drugs are the ones that are killing our, our Americans here, especially the young. I like that one. Uh-huh. Build the wall. That's right, that's right. All the things that he said he was going to do, you know, to uh, have more jobs, create more jobs. And, uh, and uh, most of all is uh, being supportive for uh, Israel, the country of Israel, because we need, we need, we need as a country, the United States as a country, we need to support Israel. Mostly the uh, Navajo Indians are, are Democrat, you know, so you know they don't really want to listen to me or they, they want nothing to do with it, you know. But you know they need to know the truth, you know. And the only way they need they need to know the truth truth is uh, you know if they you know somebody talk to them about it, you know. But still they don't want to listen to it, you know. Thank you very much, and I'm thrilled to be here in Albuquerque with thousands of hardworking, freedom-loving American patriots. Thank you. 
Revenues from energy production provide up to 25% of your state's budget and going much higher in the very near future. And they've generated nearly a billion-dollar budget surplus in New Mexico. Thank you very much, President Trump. Thank you. I think we're going to do great here. We're here for a number of reasons, but we're here because we really think we're going to turn this state and make it a Republican state. Yesterday marked the beginning of the Hispanic Heritage Month. Who's Hispanic here? Latinos for Trump. Thank you. Incredible people. We're building the wall, and it's going up, and it's going up there. And at the center of America's drug crisis, this is where the Hispanics know it better than anybody. People said, oh, the Hispanics won't like a wall. I said, I think they're going to love it. They won't like border security. I think they're going to love it. You know why? Because you understand it better than other people. But at the whole center of this crisis is the drugs that are pouring in. And you understand that when other people don't understand it. The president's speech lasted about an hour and a half. He was interrupted twice by protesters inside. Outside, protests reportedly topped out at about 200 people. At Albuquerque's Tigway Park, Democrats held a counter-rally where hundreds of people showed up to speak out against the president and his policies. Thank you for coming out to support justice, freedom, and equality, Burke. We gotta show who we are. to New Mexico to turn our state red. Well, we've got some news for you, Mr. President. You may think you know New Mexico. You may think you know how to win in New Mexico. But let's be honest. He doesn't even know the difference between red and green. But Mr. President, New Mexico knows you. Families here know the truth. They know that when Donald Trump promised a tax cut to middle-class families, what happened? Middle-class families saw their tax bills go up, and the most wealthy in America get the breaks that they did not deserve. Our communities remember this. Remember this one? President Donald Trump said Mexico would pay for the wall. 
Well, we know the truth now. It turns out it's not Mexico who's going to pay for this wall. It's our military families. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Thank you all so much. I'm so proud to be here with all of you today as we gather tonight to let the country and the world know that in New Mexico, we stand for truth. We stand, we stand for people of all races, colors, and creeds. We stand for freedom of religion and of the press. We stand together to fight for the freedom to speak out against racism and bigotry. This visit is important for us. It is a chance for us to stand up for what we believe in as a city. And in America today, it has become all too clear. This president is totally devoid of moral leadership. He stands at the top, the most powerful person in the world, leading without compassion, without taking personal responsibility, and without a moral compass. At the end of the day, there are far more of us than there are of the people that support that hate, that support that division. And the only way, the only way we can make it go away and we can take our country back is if we all come together in November 2020 and make our voices heard. Are we going to do that? Are we going to take our country back? No hate in our state. No hate in our state. Small but mighty. This is my neighborhood, and I didn't invite him here. I don't want him here. I live in a blue state because we're a democratic state. We have values, and I don't like this coming to my neighborhood. So I'm here to, to stand against it. It's the right thing to do. What has most disappointed you about his presidency? Um, the racism, the xenophobia, the misogyny. It's just those aren't that, those aren't American values, and the way that standards have come down because of this. It's, it's alarming. How do you raise kids anymore? How do you tell right from wrong when the man that you're supposed to look up to is constantly doing the wrong thing? My family has been very politically active as far back as I can pretty much remember. Um, I have grandparents that were immigrants here um, on both sides, my mom and my dad's sides. We have family that came from Italy. We have family that came from Mexico and from Spain. Um, and I've never seen the amount of unacceptance that we have going on in this country any other time that I can think of in my life. We have to have action. You've got to be part of it if you want to be part of the solution. If you're not saying something, then nobody's ever going to hear your opinions. Were you hoping to have more folks out here? You know, I think we have a good turnout and I think that it's a strong group. I think everybody that showed up here really has an appreciation for those values and really came to support those values. And I think that's what matters. Not the size of the group, it's the intent of what we're doing.
So what do we take away from the president's visit? Here to help us work through that are our line opinion panelists who have all agreed to comb through the headlines this week and offer their thoughts. Former New Mexico House Minority Whip Daniel Foley is back. Thanks for being here. Attorney and line regular Sophie Martin returns. Good to see you. Familiar face and former colleague of Dan's, erstwhile state representative Janice Arnold-Jones is here. Erstwhile, I love that. And the executive director of Prosperity Works, our friend Michael Barrio, is here for another go-round as well. Now, Michael, I'll start with you on this. At, l- at this stage, it seems the president is courting Hispanic voters. Is there something he could say that will sway Hispanic voters here? And did you hear him say it specifically in the rally? I think that's a difficult question to answer because mm-hmm. I would say yes and no. Okay. I think... Um, Hispanic is a pretty broad term, Let's start um, there. especially Absolutely. when he, he started talking about, you know, how he has support from Cubans and, and Venezuelans and, right. and how are you lumping this, this perceived demographic together? Mm-hmm. And are you assuming that all of those values hold true across those demographics? Mm-hmm. Um, but to an, another point, though, is that I think, I think that a lot of a lot of voters don't really know mm-hmm. the details about some of the policy proposals that are being put forward mm-hmm. um, with this administration and, or any previous administration. Your mm-hmm. average voter usually um, um, is only passively familiar with politics, and, That's right. and so That's you know right. the rhetoric is inc- is incredibly important and effective um, in trying to win a certain state. I don't know how possible it is here in New Mexico, but I do think there's a shot. Let me swing to Dan on that question. Interesting you mentioned that there. Um, you know, we heard the president say that Hispanics understand our nation's drug problem better than others. I don't know if you caught that part of it. It was very interesting. What did you make of that? And is that, again, a winning strategy to bring in Hispanic votes so, in this state? So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think when you look at, you know, the, the drug plight in New Mexico, and we talk about northern New Mexico, you look mm-hmm. at what's happening <clears> in places like Española and Chimano, places like that, right. I think People like that are, hear that and they, they relate to that. Mm-hmm. I think more importantly, they hear it and they say, well, what are you going to do about it? Right. right. So if there's movement, I think, you know, we put a lot of weight on what someone says and not as much weight on what the actions are after they say sure. it. If he says this is the problem mm-hmm. and then there's policies that are moving towards correcting that problem, mm-hmm. I think it's going to resonate well with individuals. I think if you fly into New Mexico mm-hmm. and you say a bunch of stuff and fly out and then you don't hear anything about it again, right. there's no policy action, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a problem. I think he's got some policies that have, that have been that are going to, that have been receptive by Hispanics, okay. especially in New Mexico. I think New yep. Mexico is a state that's in play um, just from the standpoint of the financial aspect. Mm. You can come right. here and spend right. so little money right. and actually make a difference in an election. I mean, if you right. came here and spent five million dollars, you're going to own television, you're going to yeah. own radio, right. you're going to own. You know, getting rallies and things mm-hmm. together. Whereas, if you go to California, five million dollars doesn't get you on. Right. You know, get you in the <laughs> the local alibi newspaper. So, so I mean, when you look at a guy who, you know, by all reports, he left here, went to California, was going to raise right. something like sixteen million that one night in, in California, San Francisco. In San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you look at how much money he's got to have in the bank right now. It's right. in the it's in the tunes of hundreds of millions right now. Mm-hmm. And you say, hey, listen, for the for the for you running for president, there's a state that you can go spend five million in right. and really That's move right. the meter. That's right. I think that's what makes them compare that Janice to a couple of cycles back Mitt Romney pulled people out of the state he conceded the state to Obama the whole thing is that you know I'm telling my lefty friends don't laugh at this idea of this president taking the state just don't dismiss this out of hand for exactly the reasons Dan just laid out this thing could be up for grabs 
financially? Do you have a sense of oh, this oh, as well? Absolutely. Uh -huh. I mean, and the numbers are, you know, across the nation, um, the average cost to, to buy a Senate seat mm -hmm. is $15 million. We haven't spent $9 million in the last several cycles. Mm -hmm. And so to that extent, we are a cheap market. Now, to say that we're only two markets, that's not true. If you are running a statewide campaign, we're five markets. But even at that, with five markets, mm -hmm. uh, if you can end up with a Senate seat at less than $10 million, Quite frankly, that right. is a bargain. Um, but but I want to swing over to uh, the message that is coming yes. out, mm -hmm. and um, I th I think it is huge. I I and I think it is more than just what the president is saying. I do believe that the progressives have have pushed too far. I was at the rally, mm. and you know, and I, I'm here to tell you that you cannot tell a Hispanic from a lot of people simply by looking at their skin. Right. We all have That's skin, right. but there we are a vast variety of people. But if you ask me to say, were there people of color in abundance at that rally? I'm here to tell you that that was the case. And I think it really comes down to some value propositions. Ah, One is that they want secure borders. Right. They do want to be safe. And in context, you know, sometimes when the president is speaking, it's a little clumsy, but the comment about drugs, uh, the crowd really got that is that drugs are coming in and they are hurting us. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the crowd kind of took away. Mm -hmm. What is it they say mm -hmm. all the time? It's the economy stupid. Uh, I mean, right now right. the economy's doing well. That's right. That's right. right. And I do can add one Please. other thing Absolutely. because some things haven't come out. But when they started uh, the program, uh, they brought up a World War II veteran oh. uh, who, who led us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm -hmm. And then the room erupted. It was the loudest ever. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Think it was so. I, I mean, it gives me chills sweet. to think about it. Yeah, you know, uh, one bit of it that caught my ear, Sophie, was when the president actually gave some props to Mexican Americans. Mm -hmm. It was a very interesting situation. How Mexican Americans have contributed to the economy, to all mm -hmm. kinds of different ways. Very different from speeches we've heard. Very New Mexico specific, I, obviously. How do you think it plays? It seems to me. It seems to me that what we've seen with this president, mm -hmm. um, his his history is that there are the scripted moments mm -hmm. and there are the unscripted moments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, that felt to me like a scripted moment, some right. notes that he needed to hit. That's right. Uh, somewhat less scripted was uh, his comments, uh, you know. To the reporter. Yeah. Or you like Hispanics or Americans better? That, right, what kind of yeah. question is that? that? The sort of like oh, my right. Hispanic kind of thing, the, the, the strange language he used where he kept saying, mm -hmm the Hispanics is very distancing. Mm -hmm. um, my sense from this event was um, that he may have realized that it's not okay with all of his um, voting pool to look like a racist. Mm. That a portion, that a portion, pro hopefully not a huge portion, mm -hmm. is not bothered by it because we've seen those people. Mm -hmm. We've seen them at rallies, we've seen them online, et cetera. But that perhaps the electorate as a whole doesn't like that idea. And so it felt to me a little bit like damage control was mm -hmm. happening here. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I think that he's gonna get a significant portion of the New Mexico Hispanic vote, and he'd need to get a pretty significant portion. Right. Um, individuals of, of Hispanic descent are 49% of the population in New Mexico. Right. That's our that that's a big number to try and overcome um, if you if you can't win them over. That's and right. so I, I actually in some ways think that his message was to white voters, look, I'm not a racist. I like the Hispanics and I'm opening opening mm -hmm. the conversation to include mm -hmm. them. 
Michael, pick up on that if you want to from Sophie, but at the same time, does it make a difference that we don't have a Gary Johnson potentially on the ticket? You know, we might. I mean, they're a legitimate party here, certainly, but does that make it? I mean, nine points, that's, that's no small thing. It's you know? no small thing. I think mm-hmm. it makes, I, I think any of, anything like that makes a difference either way. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be interesting, I think, especially coming out of this last legislative session. Right. Um, I think that we're still going to see a, a little bit more um, of the residual effects of um, some of the bills that went up and passed this this last session, like the, the guns, uh, everything to do with guns. Mm-hmm. Um, you did bring up Second Amendment. Um, mm-hmm. Got a lot from Big it too. That yeah. those kinds of those kinds of issues really are um, are key issues for. For a lot of Hispanic communities, I, I sure. believe, yes. and rural communities, that's right. and um, that's exactly where we are. And so, it really does make. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's out of the, the the realm of possibility that he that New Mexico is a state that he could potentially turn. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on, mm-hmm. you know, what is the what does our legislature look like after the election? Give Janice the last word here. What does he need to do here in a, in a minute? What what ha- what would flip New Mexico in your view? What would have to happen? Well, I I I think that Michael's just hit on those key issues. Second Amendment issues right. for Hispanic New Mexicans is huge, but so are the faith and value issues. Huh? But I want us to just comment on. At the the uh, rally, I felt a little bit like the president had waded into the dis- debate of Latinos versus Hispanics. Oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. I, and and so the campaign says, you know, we're all Latinos, uh, but in New Mexico, that is not my experience at all. No, that we are Hispanics, <clears throat> very proud of the the lineage that we can trace back generations. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you balance that? And there's mm-hmm. been a lot of discussion about it, but I think that was. Mm-hmm homage to the fact that we are Hispanics versus Latinos. Do you think he was being careful, essentially, in order to make that interesting? I do. If he can put in place the victory model that George Bush did, where they knew every vote in every precinct in every county Mm -hmm. and had the boots on the ground, that's what made the difference in New Mexico. New Mexico is, even though the media and the money is important, right. it's still a local hand-to-hand state. Right. That's right. If you got the boots on the ground, they can get out there and shake people's hands and talk to them. It makes a difference in this Interesting state. point there. I'll have to leave it right there. We'll take a quick break to reset and come back with the latest plan for public financing in our city elections. It's happening right now. We need to, we can't keep looking away from it. We can't put it off. Because, I mean, it's it's not it's not going to stop. Welcome back to the line, our opinion panel. We're talking campaign finance for the next few minutes, specifically two measures that will be on the ballot for Albuquerque voters in November. Each would raise the amount of public financing for qualified candidates from a buck a voter to a dollar seventy-five. One of those proposals would also create what's called democracy dollars. That's the name for $25 vouchers that registered voters, as well as some others, we'll get to that, would get to donate to a publicly financed candidate. And Dan, this bugs you. It just bugs you in a very deep way. I'm curious why. Hold me down. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, there's multiple, multiple conversations. A lot of layers. We don't have a, yep. a, a, all the time to go over everything. First of all, mm-hmm. you know, we've got public financing and campaigns now we're going to give democracy dollars. Make no mistake about it. These are not democracy dollars. They're your dollars. They're mm-hmm. taxpayer mm-hmm. dollars. Fair enough. They don't define who the citizens are that get them, who the voters are that get them, if they're right. voters, right. how long they have to be here. There's, there's also, if you read the bills that they're proposing, 
um, once this goes past, once mm -hmm. the voters vote this in, mm -hmm. then the city council at any time can up the amount of money. They can decide mm -hmm. to make mm -hmm. how much money they're going to put in these races. They don't have to go back to the voters for. Mm -hmm. There's no... Uh, there's no real understanding about, I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about just in the so-called democracy dollars that are out there, you're going to be talking about over almost $15 million floating around the city. I mean, just floating around the city for people to go gobble up and use how they choose, you choose it to use. So mm -hmm. I just, I think it's a very, it's not very well thought out. I think it's interesting mm -hmm. that the folks that are promoting this are really good at keeping it on the QT. I mean, this has really been, this has, where are the debates about this? Where are the people that are out there saying, I mean, we talked about sick leave, we had public debates about it, you know, we had editorials from all types of people. This is just one of those things that kind of is mm -hmm. is generating and and going through the deal there. And I just think it's, there's a million questions and no answers. Mm, interesting point there. Michael Barrio, that's that's a pretty scathing indictment there of the democracy dollar. What's your What is your rebuttal, sir? Uh, <laughs> my rebuttal, Dan. Will it be a rebuttal? Yes, go for it. <laughs> you know, it, well, I'm generally in favor of, uh, I like the idea of democracy dollars. I like the idea of attempting to take um, uh, big money out of elections. Right. Um, I think that we know that that precludes a lot of, um, a lot of things from happening. Have, is the money too big for our mayoral races for your comfort? Is that what you're saying? It's, it's No, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't. Mm -hmm. I think I have an opinion exactly on that. I would say mm -hmm. that... Because um, the idea of running on $380,000... But you're not taking big money out of the elections, right? Yeah. Right. Because right. people get the democracy the dollars yeah. of the people who choose to take public finance. That's right. 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 That's so, right. But we're going to give all these dollars all as if that. everybody's in the race. Right. Right. That's right. So now, if I choose to not take public financing, mm -hmm. then I don't have any access to these democracy dollars. So all the people that got these dollars, they got nothing to do with them if they're supporting me. Right. I guess they can figure out what to do with them. Good are they for there. sale? Yep. Are they going to give them to somebody? I, I don't know. Janice, your thought on that. <laughs> <laughs> the for sale. This really boils down to ballot access, and we could actually solve this. And one of the ways that we solve it is we revamp, retool our public financing. Uh, the truth is, is if you're running for mayor, you have to have 3,080 $5 donations. You want to talk about ballot access? Who puts those programs together? And it is seasoned consultants who run people out there. So to say that just Joe Blow can run because of those dollars, that is not true. And so in democracy dollars, geez. Um, so if we limit it, thankfully, mm -hmm. limit it only to the mayoral race again. Mm -hmm. How many vouchers? Do you get only one? Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. get four? Are we going to expand it to the city council races? Uh. But at the end of the day, even with our current public financing, uh, we still have a little bit of money in the kitty, but I'm not so sure after the next election that we right. will have that. Right. Uh, and so you, ha and, and we have no, uh, no analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a pig and a poke as far as I'm concerned, mm -hmm. but is it going to give you better candidates, more grassroots candidates? The answer is no. That's an interesting point there. Sophie, I, have a, I do have a question. If sure. you want to touch on that, I, I, could, I could understand. But the last, the mayor we have now, the last person who took the public finance route, he is the mayor now. Indeed he However, is. there was an asterisk in there in that he got a whole bunch of other money from a whole other entity that one could call it a pack, one can call it a whatever you want to call it, but there was a ton of money that came in through the side door as well as these, you know, public financing. So what do we do about that? It just seems. I think that's one of the things that, in my mind, is particularly concerning because I think mm -hmm. I think this is a a um, an attempt. It is an attempt 
to re-inject the voice of the general public into um, especially the primary and pre-election, you know, right. the, the process, mm -hmm. um, to give people an opportunity to sort of uh, in, invest, even if it's the taxpayers' money, mm -hmm. in candidates. Uh, certainly, one of the discussions that's been held for some time about public financing, one of the, the challenges is, you know, when you give somebody $5, it's not necessarily, so that's one of the qualifying right. donations, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily $5 and I commit, definitely I'm going to vote. And so, uh, you know, does, does the $25 commitment, even if it's not really your money, get you more engaged? Do you become a more active mm -hmm. participant in the process? So there's, there's the two sides. It's the money getting to the candidate, but there's right. also this concern um, that if funding isn't done correctly, it disenfranchises or disengages voters. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's an experiment. It, it was, I think it's an experiment exactly. still in Seattle mm -hmm. where it's been going on. But, but um, Well, there's a learning curve. Exactly, uh, exactly. You know. But I do think, to, to your earlier, to your initial question, I do think this issue of outside money is one that's still of great concern. Mm -hmm. um, it is uh, just because your candidate got to take advantage of it doesn't make Make it uh, an awesome thing. Mm -hmm. um, and for the we record, really it's called a Measure Finance Committee. I thank apologize. You. And we you have know. not <laughs> solved that issue. I think right. we're quite far from that. So this is chipping around the edges. Right. Um, and I think it also deals with a little bit more than just getting the money. Now, That's right. um, I, I agree with Dan's question. Where does the money? Where does the money come from? Right. How does it? Right. You know, how does that work? Those are those are details I'm not quite satisfied. And I appreciate your point. That it's a learning curve. There's, yeah. there's no doubt about that. But when you've got what is it? That group I just mentioned for Mayor Keller raised six hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Right. I mean, you know, what are we doing here? It's either public finance or it's not. It's either publicly funded or it's not. You know I, what I mean? I, you can't have a, a blend, but apparently we do. I you know? I think that there's a there's an issue there. I would. <laughs> um, but it's a Supreme and, Court issue. It is. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Hello. Exactly. Um, but with regard to, to you know the learning curve bit there there's seattle still having a learning curve there were um there apparently there was less uptake of vouchers um this year than there were in tw in, uh, in in 2017 mm -hmm. um and so to, to me though those kinds of things are not enough of a reason to not explore innovative ideas for trying to take giant pack money out of elections and making mm -hmm. um Com, um, campaign contributions more right. accessible. Especially to when the last, the last public financing deal, we have a mayor that got elected and raised more PAC money, you know, dark money than anybody else has done. I just, I think, you know, the, the thing that I'm worried about with mm -hmm. this is that at the end of the day, um, and this is from someone who's been in the political world, mm -hmm. this is really just more ways to hire consultants and distance people mm -hmm. from, yes. from the process. I mean, mm -hmm. this is just going to now, instead of going out, you know, when I first ran for office, it was me and a friend and my wife sitting around the kitchen table and going out and getting kids and people that worked, you know, that I knew to go out. You start putting this kind of money in these races, that's done. You're now hiring nonprofits, you're hiring individuals, you're hiring companies. Mm -hmm. they're, they're taking this thing, and I think that's the biggest distance Franchisement that we got in in our election process is everything is now being done by people who fly in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all they do is consult on elections, and you know, we've lost the ability to get out there and shake hands and knock doors. I mean, I, you know, I, I remember literally when I first ran for office, I spent four and five hours a day Knocking going doors. door to door and yep. getting told everything you could think of and being called every name and making friends and. 
I think you start putting this kind of money in there, it right. becomes more of a mail campaign, an advertising campaign, billboard campaign, becomes more of forums and less interaction with the people. You know, James, I want to circle back to something, and I know you have an, an, a different point, but something interesting you just said there. In fact, you're right. It does take a machine to go get those $5 donations to that yeah. amount. Yeah, it does. And the proof is in the pudding that only one candidate even attempted it. Yeah. It seems to me that's the problem right there. Something's not quite working there. I would say, and, and it mm -hmm. is our structure of publicly financed elections, but right. there is another side to this. So the backside that is accountable to the people, the accounting part, right. the uh, open and, and honest ethics board, is absolutely dysfunctional. And so if you add this on top of it, right. hey, you, just throw it all up in the air right. um, because it will just be the PACs. And I mm -hmm. want to go back to another point about the PACs. Please go look at what we're calling PACs. I know everybody thinks it's Xerox or it is Chevron. That is not the PACs that is putting money in this state. It is non-profit 501c4 PACs that are not corporations. They are advocacy. That's right. And they are putting in a ton of money. And that's exactly who I believe. Dan is right. They're going to come in. They're going to see mm -hmm. these $25 things. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a payday. You know, we've experimented with uh, PRC and judges and all yeah. this kind of thing. It seems like we're getting there. It just is not quite not there yet. Button there yet. There right. The group is. is back to talk about the governor's plan to make state colleges and universities free to most New Mexicans in a moment. We sit down with three middle and high school students who plan to be a part of the global climate strike. So do we need to look at this in a different way? Uh, and more importantly, do we need to make sure these students get out with a degree right, and right, quickly? Right. And that's the issue is, right. are we prolonging this or will we incentivize getting it done? On Friday, students and youth across the world participated in a global climate strike to call attention to the urgent need for action on climate change. After we're gone, they're the ones who will feel the climate change most acutely. In Albuquerque, Santa Fe, Las Cruces, and Silver City, students were expected to join in the walkout. Now, in partnership with the Covering Climate Now media initiative leading up to the UN Summit next week, environmental correspondent Laura Pasca spoke with three students about the message they want to send. We're here today with Marie-Luth and Olivia, who are from the Public Academy for Performing Arts, and Elliot, an eighth grader at the Bosque School. Thank you for being here with us today and taking time away from school and your schedules to talk with us about the climate strike and climate change. It's an important conversation, and I'm really excited to be hearing your voices today. So I wanted to start with, why is the climate strike happening this week? Like, what was important about this week? Um, well, so on, um, I think part of it was on um, September 23rd, I want to say, um, then Greta Thunberg will be speaking to the UN about the climate crisis. So it was kind of focused around that. And then it's on a Friday because that's um, every Friday she would walk out um, to talk about, or she would walk out of school for her climate strike. Um, so we tried to plan it around that. Um, and then we have the... Uh, week of climate action and that's uh, because it's the UN climate summit uh, this coming week so that's uh, mostly what it's focused on. Okay and what's the response been from students? I remember you had a walkout in May um, and you've kind of been building momentum over time. What's the response been from other students, from your teachers, from your schools? Um, a lot of students are supportive and really want to, but they're afraid to get unexcused absences at school. 
And I think it's important to tell these people that some things are more important, like the fact that our planet is dying. And then teachers have also been very supportive, but school admin, it kind of varies throughout schools. Some are very supportive, some aren't at all, so it just depends. Yeah. And then uh, for me and um, middle school, there's a lot of concern with um, a lot of my friends can't go because their parents won't let them. Um, they think it might be dangerous. They don't want them going alone, that kind of thing, so. But we definitely, it's not gonna be a dangerous thing. It's gonna be calm and just low key. Um, and even for younger students, we're also going to have a climate fair while we, walk, while we march, um, just in case people don't feel comfortable marching, um, even if you are, like whether you're young or old, just whatever your preference is. So I feel like your generation is really facing a lot of pretty unique challenges. Why climate change? Like, how did that come to be the issue that you're most interested in and feel like you need to be active on? Um, I think it's because it's my future. Like, I had, when I was younger, I had my whole life planned out. Like, I knew when I was going to graduate college. I knew what I was going to do. I knew that I was going to have kids. Um, and just the fact that that's all in jeopardy is insane to me, that like, people still aren't listening to me. Well, I tell them that this is my future, like this is in my entire life as, lives at stake. Um, and it's just like the fact that people, like when you tell me that you don't like care or you don't, like you t that I'm just a kid, like that's like telling me that my future doesn't matter as much as yours does. Did you want to talk about it too? Um, I think I strike for the climate because like Olivia said, we all lay in bed at night or we daydream in class about our future, you know, this and that. And the thing is, if we don't do anything, that might not happen. And so I think it's a really th scary thought to think, but um, I think that we can do something and it's been proven that there are solutions, but we're so reluctant to um, do these because it all depends on money from other industries that are hurting our environment. Elliot, how did you come to climate activism? Well, I mean, like uh, Marilusa and Olivia said, um, it's a direct threat to my future, and I feel like we've been putting it off for so many years because um, world leaders have been saying, you know, like, this isn't going to affect my future directly, so it's not something that needs to be on the forefront and um, not something we need to be taking action about right now, but it's happening right now. We need to, we can't keep looking away from it. We can't put it off because, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not gonna stop right. if we also, just. Also related to that, just the people who are affected by climate change the most are the ones that can't do anything about it. And I think that's why a lot of people don't realize like how big a problem it is already um, because it doesn't affect their daily lives. It doesn't affect what they do and how they function. Um, so they don't see it as something that's important because like it's fine, like, like they don't have to worry about it right now. Um, and obviously they're going to have to worry about it in the future. And the fact that they just don't even care right now while people are dying and being affected and their land is getting taken away is astonishing to me just how 
you couldn't care about other people's lives being at stake. So your actions this week are part of a global uh, movement, but you have some demands for local officials. Um, can you talk about what those demands are for officials here in New Mexico? Yeah, so our first demand is 100% renewable by 2030. And I know it sounds really crazy, but we can do it. Other places have already started doing it, and we have so much sun here that solar power is such a huge advantage for us. Um, then we also want the senators to sign on to the Green New Deal, uh, which would really help moving that process along. Um, and then we want a moratorium on fracking in New Mexico, because that's one of the biggest things in New Mexico uh, that climate change that affects climate change is our fracking. And um, covering all that, we want to just transition um, so that people don't get left behind. And um, we use the money from the big oil and gas industries to... Yeah, so that would be to transition. create economic diversity for people who depend on the oil and gas industry because there's a huge oil and gas industry in New Mexico. And we know that a lot of people's jobs depend on that and their income. And so this just transition fund would be based off the revenues of those industries and help these people find new jobs in renewable power. Okay. And then this week, you took action at the city council in Albuquerque. Can you talk a little bit about what happened in the chambers this week? Um, so students, or actually a lot of different generations, it was really interesting to see that. Uh, just spoke up about how we need to pass this um, and we need to declare this a climate emergency because that's what it is. Um, it's a climate emergency and we need to act on it now before it's too late. So one of the things that like um, when I go to lectures or talks or different events, there'll be like a bunch of uh, adults sitting around, you know, talking about climate change, talking about solutions or whatever. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes kind of the adults in the room look around and say, where are the young people? And I've been thinking about this a lot lately, how adults, we kind of expect young people to come to our events to kind of mm -hmm. do what we think you all should be doing. What would you like adults, like how should adults be supporting you and where should we be showing up uh, where you need us? I think that like these conferences and stuff, we've proven that if adults have been doing these for a while, but they haven't shown so much um, moving forward, like they haven't helped very much. So we want adults to ally with us and come help us strike or with all our events. And I think just the power in numbers is a great deal and the power that we have various generations and it's not just the young people who support this because there are people who say, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. And so we do, but still that support from other generations helps a lot. Um, and then people always told me that my generation needs to be the ones to save the world and I never believed them. And I, even if I did, I always believed it would be when I'm in adulthood, like when I'm 25, 30. But right now, like we don't have time left to do that. And I'm 15 and I'm doing the most I can for my age. Um, but you know, I can't, like we can't vote, we can't go and pass these bills. And that's where we really need the support of adults um, just to help us mm -hmm. like mean. pass these and vote and just 
get out there and really do what we can't. Like they, you hear, oh, we're the leaders of tomorrow, but we, we don't have time to wait for tomorrow. We have to do something today and we all need to come together to do something and we can't do that on our own. So for people who are at home right now, um, and I think it's an overwhelming issue, we often don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Do you have advice or suggestions for somebody who maybe wants to be involved more or wants to have a, a better impact on the world? Um, so I think there's a ton of ways you can have an impact in really small ways. And so there's obviously stuff like getting an electric car, but that's not available to everyone. So just supporting people who do do those things or do organize like us or just come organize with us or even, um, yeah, so do that. And then also um, show your support. And like last night, city council, or uh, voted that to pass a climate resolution, which was great, and there was so much support. And there's things like that that people can come and help with and just speak your support and tell other people who don't see that, tell them that it is a problem and that they also have to help. It doesn't always, you don't always need to contribute money or um, anything like show up at city council meetings, show up to our uh, climate strike events um, all week. Um, yeah. Right, well, oh, oh sorry. Even just small things, if you can't get out to those events and like you don't have time for that, just reducing your waste and spreading the word to other people through social media and other various ways. It's just so important that we really that everyone is involved in this because in order to make this happen then we need everyone even if it's just in small ways right well thank you for being here thanks for your hard work thank you for having us thank you for having us new mexico in focus is on twitter and facebook follow us online to get updates on upcoming shows and tell us what you think about the top news stories of the week then tune in because we may share your comments on the line. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham wants to make two and four year state colleges and universities free. The governor announced this week what she calls the Opportunity Scholarship Plan. It's a last dollar scholarship, meaning it kicks in after federal aid programs. But the governor says that it'll guarantee classes for some 55,000 students a year from now. A year from now, Sophie, the price tag, 25 to 35 million dollars. Is it sustainable? What, how does that back of the envelope number hit you? In, 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 we'll get to the bigger idea here, but does the, the number finances... actually the number feels a little bit low to me, okay. and um, and I guess and I guess it's low in part in my mind because if it's as successful as the governor would like it to be, and as our as our state would probably like it to be, if that's something mm -hmm. that that goes forward, um, then the, I would expect the number to increase mm -hmm. um, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. There, uh, at the same time, like. We need something that we can use as our calling card with the rest of the country that's a part of our economic development package. We've right, been talking yeah, for a long time, <laughs> exactly. not just in the state, but nationally, about how, how education 
um, prepares people for the economy. There's, I think, a very interesting conversation mm -hmm. about trade school versus four-year universities, mm -hmm. and, and the plan does contemplate completion funds as well. That's not really the right term. That sounds sure. like I'm working in economic development, but mm -hmm. funding for two-year colleges as well. Right. So, I mean, I, I think that... Um, I think you on Facebook joked about it being a moonshot, and in, in many ways, I think I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, if it's successful, it will be expensive, mm -hmm. um, and if it's not successful, it will certainly be a great disappointment. Mm -hmm. yeah. Value versus cost. You know what I mean? That's what we're kind of talking about here. Because when you think about it, in one generation, we could be lousy with college graduates around here, and that would change everything. When it, because once you get through that process, you're not the same person, right. right? You have demands for your life, for your family, for your, you know, you want to start a business. Everything would change at that point. So why not? Why not go to a Mars shot here, pass the moon and go all the way around Well, Mars I mean, back, this is know? kind of, you know, this is the, the governor's thing right now. Mm -hmm. It is the moonshot. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not against moonshot. I think that we should always work toward ideals and where we would like to be and, and, and aim for mm -hmm. the sky. But, um, and, and um, how we actually afford and, and, and pay for something like this mm -hmm. um, throughout, the, through the years, if it grows, if it is successful, is a concern to me, but I think though that we, if we're not already looking at it as an asset, education is an asset mm -hmm. that, as you as you mentioned, helps to build and sustain economic um, mm -hmm. um, very various economies. And so, I've often heard many, um, and I think we've we've all seen many articles and heard many pundits and. Uh, many people around town talking about how you know we we're having so much trouble courting and bringing new right. and large it's business to it's New Mexico. Deal. That's right. And we simp but part of the problem is that we simply don't have the talent. That's well, right. now we may have a shot at developing some of that talent, mm -hmm. and I think that's a long game approach. And right. um, it may be a moonshot, but a long game moonshot approach to me mm -hmm. is better than nothing. And I and and I am of the opinion that we don't want. Um, perfect uh, to be the enemy of the good. Ah, that's a good point there, last point there. Point. You know, Janice, touching on what Sophie just mentioned, you, you, we knew each other when I was at the uh, Greater Albuquerque Chamber, VP of Economic Development. You can ask any econo economic developer here, what do they hear endlessly when they hear no in New Mexico? It's that, as far as they can see, is a flat line to the horizon. They see no solution in the nibbling that we were taking at the edges here. They were like, we would ride this with you if you did something that was giant and moved the needle, that we could see some change on the horizon. We would come here and actually ride that with you, but not the way you have it set up now. It's an economic development play as much as anything as an education play, isn't it, when you really think about it? It is, and, mm -hmm. and, and which brings up some very interesting points. Mm -hmm. So we have students who are graduating who have to take remedial courses. So how much of this is going to be gobbled up by remedial courses? Mm -hmm. uh, which leads me to say, should we focus more on K-12 to uh, and, mm -hmm. and not at the university? And I'm with you. There, there is a moonshot here. And, there, and I'm glad that she has left this open to everybody. Mm -hmm. But I'm with John Arthur Smith. There are a lot of details here. And this is not going to look at all like what you think this is. Right. Uh, and, and so I have a couple of beefs. Uh, so when we were doing the lottery scholarship, and now it has been severed from uh, tuition. It's a set fee. And That's I right. think it's going to stay that way. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad it's going to cover fees. But we have no control over fees. That was the one thing that just bugged me about the universities, mm -hmm. is they just kept ramping up fees. 
it was amazing. Right. And there is no discussion about the quality of teaching at the universities. Mm. Right now, the majority of our, uh, I'm, I'm just going to cover UNM, mm -hmm. uh, so many of the teachers are adjunct. Uh, pay, being paid terrible wages, I'm sorry to say. Right. Is that what we pay for? So do we need to look at this in a different way? Uh, mm -hmm. And more importantly, do we need to make sure these students get out with a degree? Right, and right, quickly, right. and that's the issue, is right. are we prolonging this or will we incentivize getting it done? And, and to, to that point, I think, I, I, for me, I think I, I worry less about, um, or I guess I worry more, more than just about the tuition. Because from, you know, I think that what we're seeing in New Mexico, especially when we're talking about the, the lottery scholarship, is a lot of individuals that come from low-income families or households um, are not able to complete their degrees um, for a variety of reasons. And most of those reasons academics. are right. beyond That's academics. Right. And some of that stuff, you know, the covering tuition is great. That sounds wonderful. That's right. Um, books are very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, housing costs, mm -hmm. all, uh, daycare maybe. You know, there are a lot of other things that I think that we also need to how, be looking at. How about at. getting the lab when you need it? Mm -hmm. That's a point it there too. It extends costs. It's outrageous. Mm -hmm. Dan, the legislature is going to have to do it. We've just had John Arthur Smith's name invoked here. What are you, what's your sense of how this is going to be discussed? Well, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be discussed in an interesting manner. I mean, we're talking about pre-K for X amount of million, tens of millions. We're talking about this now. I mean, I, you know, I, can, I can just envision that first meeting with the governor mm -hmm. that's going to say, well, you know, you've, you know, yeah, you want a buffet, but you want every type of food represented. So you're going to have to kind of narrow mm -hmm. what it is you're doing. You know, the other problem we've got in New Mexico with these types of programs that we have to be very careful of when Gary Johnson tried to dial back Medicaid and we got and he got sued and the court said once you create an entitlement program mm -hmm. you can't do away with mm -hmm. the entitlement program mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know it's gonna be interesting to see how they word this right can they say mm -hmm. and then does it become a bait-and-switch right do you mm -hmm. get a kid in school and a year from now he's in school doing great everything's going well and now we don't have the money so That's I mean right. there's just there's just a lot Look, I'm, Let me throw I'm something else out, sure. out at you, which is interesting to me as well, guys. In that, we are old enough, some of us here, to remember back in the late 70s when California mm -hmm. had their free school system. Yeah. If you moved into the state, well, what happened? You had a bit of a land rush there. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks started moving into California because you only had to have, I believe, six months of residency. You did. At but, that but, time. But California, I mean. But, but they got but rid of it because it was almost yeah. too popular in a way. Well, what happens if we got a bunch of folks moving to New Mexico well, it won't be bad. if we have this it won't kind be of a system? Bring Not a bad thing. That's what I'm asking. But but the problem the problem mm -hmm. with a lot of this is that you know well, let me just say the good part of it is mm -hmm. to, to echo some of the folks who already said mm -hmm. the fact that we were smart, the governor has been smart enough from the very beginning to talk about the junior college aspect the two year right. aspect right. the other thing also I believe she talked about it's not just for high school grads there's also an opportunity right. for older That's folks right. to go That's back to school <clears throat> and so right. I think I think those are those are I mean it, it, she's clearly put some thought into this right. the problem is is that you know right now you know and I've, I've joked about this before you know I say we spend money like drunken sailors and mm -hmm. I always harken back to the letter that I got from a guy who said hey I am a drunken sailor and I spend money it's my money not your money so quit, quit besmirching my good name and I was like okay good point um, you know there's a lot of things out there mm -hmm. and it's the it's the same argument that you and I always get into Gene and I love you you know that my brother from another mother 
we got there's a program at some point we got to start prioritizing the programs mm -hmm. and we got to start saying is it college is it k pre-k is it k through 12 is it economic development is it job training we just i think the problem that we have is right now we got all this money and i'm just not seeing us really focus mm. right we're going pre-k all the way now to to college right i just not sure that you can solve both problems infrastructure 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 that's right Sorry. that's right <laughs> priorities, priorities exactly so last word on this if you if you have a 20 seconds i mean if I, I, I'm, Come on, I don't have a lot to cover here yeah i appreciate the it's a flare over the nation i want to go back to your your original point it, it makes it was running at the last day with the cigar shop sorry Sophie. it is I, everywhere it was running it's, at the bottom of that's right. all over the New York. it's, it's everywhere part of part of it though is this we have to start somewhere, and we are not doing that. We are spinning and spinning and spinning. If our opportunities for economic development, for, for good job growth in this state, are being stymied mm -hmm. by our education system, mm -hmm. yeah, we got to look at pre-K, we got to try to fund that. We have to deal with the college education and That's the, right. the two-year two -year training, the, the whole thing. We have to start. Um, and we have been talking about these issues for way too long. Right. We've known what we're what we're being what's being reflected to us is the problem we've known and so i have to give kudos to the governor and her staff for take, taking a shot at this mm -hmm. and trying to move us forward. It's going to be an interesting session. Yeah. So One thing I do like is she's clearly put thought into it. Yes. Yeah, this, it doesn't feel like it's just just It wasn't just something this. that That's was right. thrown right. out of the speech. The details, however, like you guys are all saying, the details will, the details will tell the tale. We're out of time this week. Don't forget to join us online for our Facebook Live sessions every Wednesday. We want to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of State Senator Carlos Cisneros, who died unexpectedly this week at the age of 71. He served in the legislature since 1985, and he will be missed. Thank you once again for joining us and for staying informed and engaged. We'll see you again next week in Focus. Funding for New Mexico in Focus provided by the McCune Charitable Foundation and viewers like you.